0: If there isn't a role model in your organization or within your immediate sphere that you can relate to, you know, try to find a role model outside of your environment. Maybe in another company, maybe in another network. But having a role model does help. If you want to do it, if you really, really want to, and you believe in it, you know, you will succeed no matter what. <laughs>
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Artists of Data Science. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at The Artists of Data Science and on Twitter at Artists of Data. I'll be sharing awesome tips and wisdom on data science, as well as clips from the show. Join the free Open Mastermind Slack channel by going to bit.ly.com forward slash Artists of Data Science, where I'll keep you updated on bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting for the community. I'm your host, Rapritsa Sahota. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Our guest today is an experienced business leader and entrepreneur with a broad range of experience across multiple domains, leveraging business strategy for machine learning and AI. Her efforts have brought clarity to complex concepts and have delivered strongly underpinned messages to executives and domains ranging from climate change, risk, energy, business resilience, shipping and trading, supply chain, and commercial deals. She has developed frameworks and novel AI techniques for investment decisions dealing with uncertainty and project evaluation. She's got a proven track record for leading teams, delivering results, and focusing on performance. She's earned a tremendous education in the field of artificial intelligence, which is culminating in her being awarded a PhD in artificial intelligence and energy economics from the University of Dundee. She's held multiple senior level leadership positions and developed a strong business acumen with over two decades of experience in the oil and gas sector, delivering long-term strategic initiatives and complex commercial projects across businesses and organizations such as BP and Shell and has since gone on to found MindSenses Global in 2018. Her company, MindSenses Global, is a management consultancy specializing in artificial intelligence with a mission to help businesses and organizations apply AI and unlock its full potential. In addition to helping organizations reshape their businesses using AI, she keeps current on trends by spending a significant amount of time exploring the next wave of AI. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, a woman who is passionate about AI for good and hopes to someday make AI accessible to everyone, Dr. Jamila Amimer. Dr. Amimer, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today. I really, really appreciate you being here.
0: Hey, thanks for the invitation and uh, thanks for the wonderful introduction.
1: So t- talk to us a bit about how you got in- involved with the field of artificial intelligence. What drew you to the field? And can you talk about some of the struggles and challenges you faced while you were on your journey to where you are today?
0: Sure. Uh, so my journey with AI started uh, with the mathematics. Uh, so I've done uh, a lot of research in mathematics, but around the area of fuzzy uh, logic, genetic Algorithms and neural networks, and that was like a good kind of starting point, in you know, to uh, basically turn towards uh, artificial intelligence.
1: With all the experience that you've had over the course of your career, where do you see the field of AI headed in the next two to five years? What do you think is going to be the, uh, the next wave of AI?
0: Oh, wow. That's uh, a great uh, and a difficult question, too. Uh, So there have been already, uh, you know, a couple of waves in AI. And uh, I think the wave we are in is the most promising one because there are a lot of people now that are aware of uh, AI and data science. We have a lot of businesses coming into stream and, you know, starting to adopt AI. But I think the adoption level is still low. So there is still a lot basically, work uh, needed, but I think uh, over the next two and five years, we will certainly see an increased number of uh, use cases of uh, AI, whether by businesses or by governments or non-profit organizations. So we will see an expansion of, of AI across the board and across the uh, economies. I guess, with with the current pandemic, you know, we are in with the COVID-19 that we have been all impacted with, that it has been a push, you know, to the businesses to to work towards digitization and digital transformation. And AI will be part of that.
1: Would you mind giving us a, a quick synopsis of the waves that came before this and how they were different?
0: So I guess kind of like the whole AI, depending kind of like how you define it, but it's back to the 1950s people starting basically you know having algorithms to try you know to you know teach uh, machines we have a lot of famous uh, scientists among them Alan Turing you know kind of like they and I'm sure kind of a lot of people know about him and the recent movie they, they, they did about him so that's kind of the, 90, the 1940s the 1950s is kind of the first uh, wave of uh, AI and that's kind of where uh, you know people were uh, starting to do were, uh, on AI, but there have been a lot of challenges. And then decades later, there have been another wave. But, like, why kind of the previous waves didn't work is not because of the, the lack of the talent or capability, because kind of When you look at AI right now and data science and the machine learning algorithm right now, for example, deep learning, you know, neural networks, you know, all kind of the the other algorithms, all those algorithms are not new. So they already existed in the 1940s, in the 1950s and the 1960s. But why kind of like it didn't really uh, have like a a high leap and a high conversion rate into kind of the business life and kind of the normal day life? is because, at that time, of the lack of the computation kind of uh, capacity. Nowadays, because, uh, because we have so much power of computers, we can run those deep learning algorithms those complex algorithms. And I think kind of like the, the advance of uh, information technology and the advance of the computer's capability has made kind of more or less this wave a little bit different from the, the, you know, the other waves.
1: That's really interesting, yeah, because it seems like these methodologies have existed for quite some time. It's just we're seeing a resurgence of them because now the technology is caught up and allowed us to, you know, really implement and employ these methodologies in some really meaningful ways. So, curious, now we're in this, this next wave, this new current wave of AI. What do you think separates the great data scientists from the good ones?
0: Obviously now with data science becoming an attractive field for like a lot of, uh, you know, uh, young people and young uh, data scientists. So my tips or my advice uh, to them in terms of how to differentiate yourself and your portfolio and your unique uh, selling proposition will have to be the, uh, the business domain. So now you can learn kind of like the machine learning, you can learn data science, you can learn kind of like, you know, statistics and all those algorithms that are being used. but unless you understand the business context for example if you're applying AI in healthcare your differentiation will be to know the healthcare business or the healthcare sector if you're applying in retail or in supply chain then your differentiation factor will be to have uh, you know supply chain experience so having the business domain will be a big differentiation
1: what do you think are going to be some of the biggest concerns that a data scientist will face in the next two to five years
0: so that like different concerns, so let's start with the the career bit because we just touched based on like on the you know the, the tip in terms of how you differentiate yourself. I think because there is still a lot of hype around AI and there are still businesses who are hiring you know AI professionals or data scientists, but don't necessarily appreciate what is data science or do not necessarily appreciate benefit or role that data scientists can play in the company. So I think from a career perspective. You have to be very aware before, kind of like if you are, you know, applying for jobs. You have to be careful in terms of the culture of the company you are joining and whether they have really understood and they have a real appreciation for data science. Otherwise, you might find yourself uh, doing like a dull job, just doing some Excel, you know, stuff rather than, you know, the, you know, the attractive data science work. Uh, uh, so that's from a career perspective. So be very careful when applying for a job that you know, it's the right environment uh, for you. From kind of like the, you know, uh, the other perspective, I think um, there are a number of issues around AI that uh, all data scientists and AI professionals needs to be uh, aware of. One is around AI ethics. Uh, The other one is around AI bias. And the other one is, you know, how to make AI transparent and, uh, you know, make it in a responsible way. And all these, you have to make them into account at the design stage because it's much more efficient and least costly to address this at the, the, the beginning rather than address them at the end.
1: I was wondering if you could talk to us about the difference between narrow AI and general AI and maybe what the future of AI looks like as we begin to make the shift from narrow to general? And, you know, maybe talk about some of the ethical concerns that uh, we as data scientists will face along the way.
0: Yes, that's a very important question. We see a lot of questions around AI and obviously uh, a lot of claims of what AI can do. But if you, you know, want to categorize them, you will have like three categories. So one is narrow AI. The other one is general AI. And then the, the third one is kind of the supreme type of AI. So let's kind of like, um, you know, try to uh, talk about those uh, three categories. So let's start with the easy one. So the third category, which is kind of the supreme type of, uh, you know, uh, intelligence, that's the one kind of things you see in Hollywood movies where you see AI taking over and, you know, humans being slaves to robots and, you know, robots basically, you know, you know having the, the power over us. So that's something that like, at least from a personal point of view, is really fictional you are like very 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 far from that so let's then tackle kind of the other two categories narrow ai and general ai so narrow ai is the kind of ai we have seen so far so most of the application whether by big kind of techie companies like, you know, uh, Google, DeepMind, you know, Amazon, uh, you know, Facebook and so on, they are in the the narrow AI. Also kind of application like, you know, from businesses. uh, So, for example, in banking, like a fraud detection or a fraud prediction tool, that's the narrow AI. And what we mean by narrow AI, it means that it only works within that context, so if, um, for example, let's take the, the fraud detection example. So that fraud detection, uh, you know, kind of AI application will be able to predict whether a, trans- a transaction is going to be fraudulent or not before beforehand. But it only works in that environment. So if you take the tool out of that environment and you put it in uh, solving another problem, like uh, find me the, the nearest or the closest kind of uh, shop to me, then that tool cannot Uh, cannot be used and none of the intelligence or none, sorry, none of the learning of that system could be applied to solve this uh, second question. You can also take it uh, even within the same area because here in my example, I changed completely the the application. But even you take a chatbot or an intelligent chatbot. So a chatbot that has been designed to, you know, for a bank, you know, to answer banking financial question, like, you know, advising on products uh, wouldn't be able. So if you take the same chatbot with that learnings, you wouldn't be able then to put it in a retail site and then that chatbot will start, you know, uh, uh, you know answering retail questions that that doesn't happen. So this is what we call narrow AI, it only works within a specific environment with Within specific kind of like conditions. Now the general AI, and this is why the most advanced kind of researchers and the big you know, techie companies are after, and we haven't yet reached that stage, is when you take, uh, when you be able to make an AI use learnings from different contexts and apply them. So that's what we call general AI. So an AI that can solve different set of problems, that can deal with the different complexities. And you don't have to redo them from uh, from scratch because each time they use uh, the learning from one problem and they use that skills to apply for another problem. And that's the kind of intelligence that we are trying to work towards. But again, we are very, very far from reaching that. My personal view, and we do some research uh, in this area in terms of how we can reach uh, general intelligence uh, in mind senses global. In our view, we need four blocks to achieve that. So the first block we call causal reasoning. So uh, I'm sure to know that in data science or like in machine learning AI, most of the algorithms are based on statistics and correlations uh, so far. So if we take the problem of uh, malaria and fever, so the algorithm or you know, AI or machine learning will find the correlation between malaria and fever, but the tool wouldn't understand that malaria causes Fever, so that's what we mean by causal reasoning. So understanding what causes what. In our view is we need to move to causal reasoning to achieve general AI, and that's only one one box. The second box is around what we call is computational efficiency. So I'm sure you know uh, about, like for example, the most sophisticated uh, machine learning algorithm so far is deep learning, and that's what AI has, you know, again a lot of att- attraction around. But even within a deep learning, for example, you have to feed it. Let's say if you would like uh, deep learning to separate cat pictures from Dog pictures. You will have to feed it thousands, you know, hundreds or thousands of like pictures of cats and dogs for the machine to be able to know that's a picture, that's a dog, and that that's a cat. Whereas, kind of, if you take uh, a toddler, you know, a human <laughs> being toddler, you don't need to show a toddler like thousands of pictures to be able to distinguish a cat and a dog. So, what that's what we call a computational efficiency, and that's something we will need to achieve uh, general in, uh, intelligence. The third block, and that I'm not going to uh, say a lot about them. The third block we believe is around transfer of learning, so how you can transfer a learning from a certain problem to very uh, different problem. And then the fourth block we call about uh, we need a revolution in uh, in machine learning algorithms. So we need a new type, a new breed of algorithms. So we believe those, those four boxes. So, causal reasoning, computational efficiency, transfer of learning, and then a new breed of algorithms together will, will take us to a general intelligence.
1: And as we are on that path, as we move closer to general AI from narrow AI, what are some of the ethical concerns that data scientists should keep at the forefront of their mind when they're doing their work?
0: So that's a very important and relevant question because we see as AI start expanding, the issue with the expansion is it's going much quicker than compared to regulations from governments and institutions. So this is why there is a gap. So it's very important. If you are a data scientist or IR researcher and developing a tool or, you know, an application to consider ethics and bias at the, the early stage of design. So making sure that issues around, you know, data privacy, tracking of data, it's handled, you know, within a certain framework and you have like a certain key principles you are following. Here in Europe, you know, we have the GDPR. So there are like a certain kind of regulations from uh, the European commissions. And I'm sure there are like, you know, equivalent regulations in the in the US and Canada and, you know, some other countries that you need to adhere to in terms of how you handle data. But it's also around... your tool has to be ethical, so it hasn't to cause any harm or, you know, any prejudice, you know, to certain, like, groups or, you know, ethnic minority, or it has, like, an unethical purpose. But you also need to make sure that you understand your data and you understand that there isn't a bias in your data. So there is a very famous example that is used in terms of uh, a lack of, uh, you know, handling uh, AI uh, bias in data. So there are a lot of examples. We can mention Amazon recruitment tool. So Amazon back, I think around like two years ago or maybe 18 months ago, they developed a recruitment tool. But then after kind of like they have found out that the tool was biased towards women because when you send like two uh, uh, CVs with the same type of, you know, experience uh, and uh, you know skills, but then with the different gender, one is male and the other one is female, then the tool was given preference to the male uh, gender application for uh, technical roles. Uh, so then they found out that obviously the tool was biased towards uh, women for technical roles. And then, uh, Amazon decided basically to scrap the tool, but going back, why there was uh, an issue with that. So you have to be careful. So for example, if you are uh, developing an application here, the example was in recruitment, you have to understand your data. So you have to understand, for example, in the 90s, if we go to the uh, the early kind of like 90 uh, century, so like the 1910s or maybe the 1920s or the 1930s, if you look at certain jobs, so for example, If you look at health care, you might find that maybe in the 1920s, there were uh, more men doctors compared to women doctors and there were the opposite. There were more women nurses compared to men uh, nurses. The same thing you may find like in the same kind of era, if you take technical job like uh, in the oil and gas industry, you know, like heavy kind of like or mining industry, you know, heavy kind of uh, industries, you will find that like in that in that era, you will find kind of like there will have been more male doing those hard technical roles compared to uh, women but obviously that timing is not in any, any more reflection of like you know in the, the society and the time we live right now so you cannot take that historical data and then make conclusion and prediction without acknowledging that there would have been a bias in that data because by nature there would there would been more men doctor compared to women doctor in that era and you need to correct for that so this is what we need you need as a data scientist you need to be aware whether your data could have been biased and if you think that the timing you know of the historical data doesn't reflect any more the present or the future time then you need to make some corrections before starting predicting and using the
1: the tool. I always like to say that it might be the machine that's learning but it is the human that is teaching it so we still need to be cognizant and aware of what it is that we're doing.
0: Absolutely and it's learning and it's being trained on a certain set so if you feed Data that is biased, then the learning will be also be biased.
1: How can AI be used to help us fight this COVID nineteen pandemic?
0: Yeah. So, uh, we have already seen that uh, AI has been developed in, uh, different ways to help with uh, COVID-19. Uh, I just give like a few examples. So, um, obviously, you know, for your AI data science audience, they would know that, uh, most of the successes that AI had so far is in deep learning. And the good news about deep learning is, is very, very, very good in terms of accuracy rate when it comes to image recognition. It's no surprise that the first application of AI, you know, uh, to help the the COVID-19 was uh, in the application of uh, taking the scans of the lungs, Patients that are already, uh, you know, ill by COVID-19 uh, uh, or they're suspected being ill, so they, you know, uh, they take like scans of the lungs and then they use an AI deep learning that is very good in terms of uh, uh, image recognition to try to recognize whether there are like some particles, you know, whether there like there is the virus inside the, the, the lung. So that's one of the, the, the application of AI. And that has been, uh, you know, complementary to the other tests. You know, for example, blood tests that, you know, is used to, uh, or sorry, not the blood test, you know, kind of like the, um, would they put like you know something on the kind of the back of the nose to to get like a sample and then do a test to see whether you have like COVID nineteen uh, scanning uh, lungs was one one way uh, you know using AI to fight uh, COVID nineteen so that stems in terms of uh, detection another application which is not about detection so once the patient uh, you know they have already you know uh, they have already tested positive so we know that the patient. Uh, has caught COVID-19, obviously we know that like uh, the way COVID-19 has uh, impacted people, they have impacted them in very different ways. Uh, so there are like people who got like very, very sick and they're like, you know, who pe- people who you know got lucky and got away where, you know, with it with just like very, very minor uh, symptoms so if a patient caught uh, could like the virus then it is very very helpful for the healthcare sector to know you know in terms of triage you know who is the patient who would need most of the, the help so using data from kind of what we know so far from covid-19 to predict you know which patient is likely to have the most severe symptoms so they can have priority in terms of treating the disease at the early stage rather than leaving it too late so those one are like two uh, type of application in terms of detection and triage in terms of you know who should get the first treatment or should who should get the first priority using AI
1: are you an aspiring data scientist struggling to break into the field well then check out dsdj.co forward slash artists to reserve your spot for a free informational webinar on how you can break into the field that's going to be filled with amazing tips that are specifically designed to help you land your first job check it out dsdj.co forward slash (laughs) artists Do you think that we could use AI and machine learning to identify or at least predict the next pandemic?
0: we could so it hasn't been done so far maybe that's kind of something you know once uh, you know we get uh, you know over most of the you know COVID-19 you know we can use kind of in terms of predicting the next pandemic but I definitely believe that like this kind of scenarios you know you could use AI to kind of like uh, you know predict or uh, you know kind of like shape some of them
1: so you've done some amazing research in your career Uh, which one of your work do you think is most relevant to our current times, and could you maybe make the connection for us?
0: So I've done like a lot of research, but like most of my research has been like in a business context. So uh, uh, we haven't gone through kind of the introduction of uh, Mindsense global. But um, so I funded MindSense Global uh, around like two years ago to help uh, businesses and organization. Um, Apply AI, but before that, uh, uh, I worked in the, the, the energy sector. So, one obviously, I had a, a lot of opportunity to uh, apply AI and machine learning through my career in the energy sector. But we wouldn't just call it AI, uh, we would just call it problem solving. So, one that I think is most relevant to our current times, so I have done a lot of work in uh, climate change. Climate change is a very relevant uh, topic and agenda for, for us. And I think what this pandemic has shown, so obviously because of the pandemic, there has been uh, a decrease in industrial, uh, you know, activity, a decrease in transport, in human activity. So we could see that obviously CO two, you know, has uh, you know emissions uh, have uh, decreased during this time. But it's a short, uh, temporary decrease because we know you know it's going to catch up as soon as you know things and uh, you know uh, activity will start. But the climate agenda is saying.
1: I'd love to get more into the work that you've done at MindSenses Global. Do you mind talking about some of the projects that you're working on or some of the initiatives that you're undertaking?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm very passionate about uh, AI and kind of one of my mission is to make uh, AI uh, available to everyone. So, uh, and this is mainly the, the main reason why I set up uh, MindSenses Global back in uh, early 2018. The overall vision is to help businesses and organizations apply AI. The way we apply it is through four different services. So one is around AI education. And because of my passion in AI, so I do a lot of uh, uh, activities under AI education. So we, uh, we run uh, master classes, workshops, Uh, around AI, you know, demystifying AI, but then bringing kind of like the business uh, perspective, we show kind of how AI has been used in uh, several sectors, you know, how AI has been used in healthcare, in retail, in, you know, energy sector, you know, across uh, the board. Uh, I do myself a lot of like uh, podcasts and webinars, uh, you know, to help, uh, you know, bring the the awareness and fight the myth and the hype, uh, you know, the the, the myths and the, the, the hype around AI. Uh, The second service is um, what we call AI strategy. Because kind of once uh, people or like businesses know about AI, the natural step for them is for them to want to apply it. But then most of them don't know where to start. So this is where kind of we help them develop an AI roadmap. So we talk them through the, the you know the key pillars uh, behind an AI strategy. So what kind of data they need you know to have to be able to drive you know uh, you know uh, business decisions. Uh, if they like, uh, and I'm sure that may be. Uh, um, several ways on how to apply AI. Which one, you know, will add the most value to their business? So this is all under, uh, you know, under uh, AI strategy. Uh, the third service is around uh, AI tools and solutions. So that's the most techy bit of the offering. This is where kind of like we go and you know we develop, you know, the AI application for the businesses. But uh, the way we see it, kind of like, is slightly different. So we see AI as a means to an end. So we see AI as a tool. So we always start with the problem. We never start with AI. I go to a lot of conferences and meet like a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know people and, uh, you know, potential uh, clients. And then when I ask them, oh, you know, uh, have you applied AI? Or they say, yeah, yeah, we got, uh, you know, this tool and this, tool. do not like to name uh, labels, but uh, they might say, oh, you know, we got like this latest tool and so on. But then the next question, when you ask them, okay, good. What are you doing about this? And then this is where they get stuck. As Oh, we don't know. We just got it. Or, you know, we're still thinking about it. And for, for us, this is the wrong way to go about it. I think if you are a business, you should start with your business you know, uh, your business context, you, you should start with your problem and then along the way of framing your problem and trying to find a solution to your problem, then we have them to find a way to you know use AI to solve that problem. So that's what goes under uh, AI tools. And then the last service we offer is around um, AI investments. So that's going back to the AI hype. Uh, the AI hype has caused a lot of confusion to people, especially to uh, AI investors. I'm not talking about like the big, uh, you know, big VCs that they may have their own big, you know, internal teams that they can do uh, due, you know proper due diligence on uh, AI startups. But like the smaller firms and like the family office and the angel investors, they're really struggling, you know, when it comes to investing in AI startups. Uh, let me mention one of the statistics just to show that. Hype. So there have been a survey done by NMC uh, Venture. So that's European survey. So they surveyed uh, European AI startups, and the uh, the results showed that a big percentage, which is around forty percent, so forty percent of European AI startups do not actually use AI. Uh, so that's like a big issue when it comes to to uh, you know to the AI hype and the uh, you know AI investment. So what we do under this service? So we help AI investors, you know, uh, doing you know proper due diligence uh, on AI status before they invest. We advise them on AI trends, on the most promising area, and so on. So those are the four services: AI education, AI strategy, AI tools, and AI investments. In terms of the clients and the you know uh, the sectors, I have deliberately made the decision when I set up the the company earlier to. Uh, Make it open. So uh, we didn't say uh, we will only do uh, the energy sector or we will only do retail. So we help clients across the boards and across sectors. Obviously, we have priorities that matches our skills, like uh, you know uh, healthcare and supply chain and retail and uh, you know uh, maritime shipping and energy. But apart from from that, you know we uh, you know we help uh, people across uh, and clients across uh, different sectors.
1: I was wondering if I could pick your brain about entrepreneurship. So do you have any tips or words of encouragement or advice for someone who's probably been toying with the idea of entrepreneurship, but just hasn't gone and made the leap?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So kind of like, especially for me, because uh, before being an entrepreneur uh, myself, you know, I, I came from the corporate you know, the, the safe corporate environment. So I was in corporate, like, uh, you know, a senior role uh, in a corporate organization. So I think kind of uh, my advice, is, you know, if you have an idea and, you know, you are the kind of like a person who is keen into friendship, you know, go uh, for it. But, you know, go, go for it, but like with, uh, you know, wide open eyes. So um, be aware that kind of your journey is going to be lonely. So you have to have like a lot of resilience, uh, uh, you know, to uh, to be able to sustain, uh, you know, uh, yourself and your, uh, your business. But also kind of like, don't be shy of, uh, you know, sharing, you know, your ideas and going out and knocking, uh, you know, on doors, because that's how kind of like, you know, you, you need to get like networking, you need kind of like to uh, build on your exposure and wow. visibility.
1: So what are some key traits or qualities that a person should possess, you know, if they wanted to become a full fledged successful entrepreneur, and and how could they cultivate these traits and qualities within themselves? <laughs>
0: It's difficult because I don't think that is like a single trait, uh, you know, it's kind of for me, I believe, you know, if you want to do it, if you really, really want to, and you believe in it, you know, you will succeed uh, no matter what, uh, you know, your kind of trait or, you know, your kind of uh, profile. But I think that obviously there are like some uh, attributes that are positive and that are helpful, uh, you know, if, if you have them. One, and I think kind of it's still my number one is, you, know, you have to be, really, you know, resilient, Because, uh, you know, along the way, you will go through a lot of rejections before, you know, you get like, uh, you know, your first success. Or you get like uh, a lot of like small successes before you get like your big kind of like, you know, major success. So you have to be resilient. But at the same time, you have to be, uh, you know, uh, be be able to adapt to a changing world. So, you know, if, if you are an entrepreneur and going out there, you have to, you know, be able to test different strategies and different offerings. If, so if you go out and, you know, you are uh, pitching in a certain way or, you know, offering a certain product and it doesn't go, you know, it doesn't go well or, you know, you haven't received like, a, uh, you know, a welcome reception, then along the way you have to tweak, you have to change that strategy. So maybe you tweak your offering or you may tweak your product or you may tweak your business model, but you have to change. You cannot keep having the same pitch again and again and again and failing, uh, you know, uh, again. So you have to, uh, you know, be able to adapt to a changing environment.
1: So in terms of data science and AI entrepreneurship in this COVID World, oh. what are some problems worth tackling that an enterprising data scientist can identify and maybe turn into an opportunity? Uh,
0: that's a good question because I think n- what has kind of uh, a COVID 19, apart obviously from kind of the, you know, the a lot of suffering, you know, that, uh, you know, and the negative impact, uh, you know, uh, globally that, uh, you know, has touched uh, humanity. I think it's kind of if there is any positive and don't like to say it is a positive event because no no event such a you know such a, this one is is a positive uh, but i think if we have to find like a positive lens into it i think not like it will have you know this event has pushed us to see things in a different way first of all realize that you know uh, you know having a rethink of our values and principles and realize that our time is short and you know we have to really prioritize uh, you know uh, things. So from a business perspective, I think it, you know. Um, I think kind of we will see going ahead that there will be um, maybe a, a lot of requests for uh, you know data scientists and AI for. Automation. So, kind of like, how can we make the dull procedures, you know, admin procedures that are doing, you know, being done by human beings right now? How can we automate them so we can then free our, uh, self and, uh, you know, for much uh, higher priority tasks where we need, like, you know, to use our intelligence uh, uh, in it? So, there will be a lot of requests for, uh, you know, uh, automation. But again, because kind of like, you know, uh, of the, you know, the economic Impact of uh, you know um, of COVID nineteen, so uh, you know there will be uh, more a more push for uh, you know how to uh, improve the business performance, and the way we view it in MindSensors, you know when you look at business performance using AI, so you could either use AI to uh, reduce your costs or using AI to, uh, you know, gain competitive advantage, or you can use it to uh, improve your customer satisfaction, you know, through the customer services. So there will be still a lot of different ways on how AI could help, uh, you know, make businesses more efficient in the the new world after uh, COVID-19.
1: Thank you for that insight. really appreciate it. So... You know, a lot of up-and-coming data scientists they tend to focus primarily on hard technical skills, and they think that that's what's going to separate them from the rest of the crowd, from the rest of their competition uh, when applying for jobs and whatnot. What are some soft skills that candidates are missing that are really going to separate them from their competition?
0: Yeah, again, that's another in uh, you know, a good question. Um, so we see it um, a lot, you know, uh, you know, in the you know in the tech area or kind of like, you know, the, the new joiners where they think kind of uh, let's learn, you know, every uh, single, uh, you know, open source uh, tool or, you know, algorithms out there or application. And they think kind of by uh, knowing to code in Python and R and, you know, all those, uh, you know, uh, you know other softwares or, you know, kind of like uh, coding programs uh, uh is enough. Obviously, there are a certain minimum requirement as a data scientist. You are supposed to know kind of like how to code and, you know, how, uh, you know, kind of uh, to handle data uh, and so on. But I think kind of the most critical, you know, going back to your previous question in terms of how you differentiate yourself, you know, it has to come to the soft skills, not anymore the, the hard skills, because you have to take uh, as a given that everyone, you know, if you're a data scientist, all the other data scientists trying to apply for your job or trying to, you know, uh, do, uh, you know, similar projects to you will have very similar, uh, you know, uh, techie skills to you. So the only way to differentiate yourself will have to be through the soft skills, not the hard ones. And the soft skills for me, uh, what has been helpful personally for me is you have to have like two soft skills. One is around uh, clarity of thoughts. So how can you make uh, very complex, uh, you know, concepts, you know, when dealing with AI and machine learning and that all, you know, coding, uh, you know, business, how you can take, you know, very complex concepts uh, and turn them into very simple messages to uh, to your audience. So it's the clarity of the thought and it's the simplicity of like relaying the, the messages. So that's kind of like the, uh, the top scale for me. And then the second kind of top scale in terms of the, 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 the soft skills will have to be um, in terms of kind of influencing skills. Because don't forget as a data science, you know, whether you are a member, whether you are a lead and you have a team, In a business context, you have to deal with others. You have to deal, if you are a manager, you have to deal with your junior data scientist. If you are a data scientist member, you have to deal with kind of the wider team. You have to convince kind of senior business management uh, in terms of your idea and your project. So you need to know how to influence, you know, how to negotiate, kind of like how to bring your idea into the table. So I think those are the two top uh, sub-skills for me.
1: Thank you. So we've got a lot of, you know, listeners and a lot of data scientists out there who are up and coming data scientists, maybe they're students, maybe they're having a hard time getting a job, but they're really okay. eager to put their skill set to the use. Um, you know, how can a student with nothing but a laptop and an internet connection use AI for good?
0: Yeah, thanks. So there are a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, um, people coming into this area to to contribute. So uh, in a wider term, so before going into the specific kind of the AI for good, because that's another topic uh, on its own. But uh, if you're coming to this area, and you know, I think kind of the quickest way to learn and put, you have to put your uh, knowledge into practice. So, you know, kind of like, um, there are like a lot of uh, platforms like uh, GitHub and you know Ga- uh, Kaggle where you can go and see. But like what other p- people are uh, working on, you can go into the you know the, the open source platform and get kind of kind of the the, the latest uh, you know kind of uh, code and the latest project and try to contribute. Specifically, when talking about AI for good, obviously there a lot of projects that uh, help, uh, you know, in the area of AI for Good. So uh, AI has been used to predict, for example, earthquakes. It has been used to uh, predict, uh, you know, in terms of the loss of uh, forestration. It has been used in terms of uh, uh, how, uh, you know, in mental health. So there are a lot of topics AI for Good going right now. But there are also a lot of organization kind of like uh, helping in this area. So I think the latest one that has come across is an organization called, uh, I think it's called Omnida and what they do, uh, I can send you afterwards, a kind of the link that maybe you can kind of add so people can look, but uh, so what they do, so it's the kind of organization that uh, um, bring together different uh, professionals, including kind of upcoming kind of like a junior data scientists, people new into uh, kind of this area, and they get together to, uh, to solve uh, an AI for good project. So uh, I think kind of like each Maybe each month there is a very different uh, topic. So they've done, uh, they've done, I think, earthquakes, climate change. They've done kind of like, uh, harassment. Uh, they've done like a lot of topics. So you could kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like, mm, participate to this kind of things. And this is only one example that a lot of uh, organizations and networks, you know, organi- organizing either hackathons or organizing, uh, you know, project work, uh, you know, for AI for good.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah, I'll definitely be sure to include a link to that in the show notes. Do you mind spelling that out for us? Uh, oh, was it Omnida?
0: Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. so I think it's uh, O-M-N-E-D-A, but I'll, I'll make sure I get it correct for you on the notes.
1: I was wondering if you could speak to your experience being a woman in tech, being a woman in STEM, and if you have any advice or words of encouragement for our women listeners out there
0: the technology sector is like a sector where so far we see less women than men and I'm hoping that, like, in the future, it will change. But that's no different from uh, the previous sector I was in, you know, the oil and gas and the energy sector. I was also in a sector where, uh, you know, typically you will find maybe more men compared to women, at least, you know, in the senior, uh, you know, uh, position. Uh, but kind of, uh, so it's always challenging whether, I don't like to answer just for women because I think the question is relevant to, you know, if you billing linked, belong to any type of category where you find yourself uh, as a minority in uh, a wider environment I think that's a relevant question to you so kind of like first of all kind of like um, don't be you know disheartened you know don't, don't say I ah, you know because I'm the only one it means you know uh, I have no role model and you know I can never go up because you know all you know all the people up are like very different uh, from me so I think one is to be resilient but the other one is kind of like you know um, to try to find a role uh, model so if there isn't a role model in your organization or within your immediate sphere that you can relate to, you know, try to find role model outside of your environment, maybe in another company, maybe in another network, but having a role model does, does, uh, does help. And the other one, you know, going back to, you know, being resilient, you know, you know, uh, you, know you have to be resilient, you have, you know, to take it on the chain and, you know, persevere. And, you know, by showing your capabilities, you will, uh, you know, uh, you will go through.
1: So what can the data community do to foster the inclusion of women in STEM and, and you know, help them along the way?
0: Yeah, so that's a good question because kind of, you know, we, we are all responsible. So we all have to take you know, actions, you know, to help, uh, you know, this uh, wider issue. I think kind of having role models is very, very important, especially when, uh, you know, if you are dealing with younger generation, or you know young adults uh, even like p you know pupils uh, you know at schools unless they know you know a certain uh, you know person so if i're a female unless kind of they know another female doing another you know techie job or doing another specific job maybe that job or that title or that type of uh, you know kind of activity activity wouldn't even come to their mind so i think kind of it's very important to to have role models so kind of i think for data communities and for all of us involved, we have to play our part. So kind of like be the role model so like be a mentor for uh, you know other people Uh, um, don't don't wait to be asked to be a mentor if if, you know if you know some people in your kind of like environment you think you can help offer uh, offer the help don't wait you know to be asked but also you know we need visibility so this is why I do a lot of uh, you know uh, podcasts webinars uh, you know go you know speak at conferences presentations because the more we see diverse kind of like faces and diverse kind of like uh you know talent in ai the more kind of like we will uh, we will be more uh, inclusive
1: what's up artists be sure to join the free open mastermind slack community by going to bitly.com forward slash artists of data science it's a great environment for us to talk all things data science to learn together to grow together and i'll also keep you updated on the open bi-weekly office hours that i'll be hosting for our community check out the show on instagram at the artists of data science follow us on twitter at artists of data look forward to seeing you all there So last question before we jump into a lightning round here. What's the one thing you want people to learn from your story?
0: Oh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, but I think kind of uh, going back. So if you look into my journey and story, you will see that uh, even though there are like, a lot of common traits uh, around that, you can see that I have changed uh You know environments, and I have changed businesses, and uh, you know rules. So I think kind of one of the key bit is to be able to adapt to change. So I think the more you adapt, and the more you change, the more skill, and that that's what has helped me so far. I have I wouldn't have accumulated the capabilities uh, that I have so far if I haven't gone through those uh, those changes.
1: Let's go ahead and jump into a lightning round here. What is your data science superpower?
0: Oh dear, Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to be uh, claiming to uh, be super powerful but uh again i think for me and for a data scientist i think what has helped me the most is simplicity you know the You know, to be able to do things in a very clear, simple way.
1: What do you believe that other people think is crazy?
0: Uh, I think that uh, everything is possible.
1: If you could have a billboard anywhere, what would you put on it? and why
0: oh, uh, <laughs> i'm very fascinated by um you know kind of uh you know kind of like the universe and you know the different planets and obviously we uh you know with the latest uh, kind of like achievement uh, you know the launch uh, you know with the you know the us uh, you know rocket with the uh, space so i'm very uh, uh interested by mars so i'll i'll definitely put uh, like the mars uh planet in, in my uh, board <laughs>
1: So what's an academic topic or just an area of research outside of data science that you think every data scientist should spend some time studying? Um,
0: It's not necessarily differently outside, but I think, you know, uh, for AI and data science, you will need a solid background of mathematics. So I think for me, mathematics is uh, number one uh, topic. So,
1: What's the number one book? Uh, fiction or nonfiction, or if you want to pick one from each, uh, that's okay, that you would recommend our audience read and your most impactful takeaway from it.
0: So a book that, uh, you know, I'm very, very fond of, so I don't uh, recollect the, uh, you know, the exact title, but I can kind of like more or less, you know, kind of translate it, but so I'm like very keen in terms of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, action and intention. So there is a book by Dr. Wayne Wire, who is like a very uh, famous, uh, you know, he has passed away, I think, uh, around like uh, a year ago, but like uh, he has been very, very famous in the, the area of like personal development. So. So um, the the paraphrased kind of like type of title uh, says something around uh, if you change the way you see things, then things will start uh, changing. And it's all about kind of the power of intention. So for for me, that's like a very relevant book because kind of like uh, I think action oriented, you know, uh, you know, focus is very very uh, crucial to succeed in this life.
1: Definitely, I'll try to find the title for that, and then I'll try to um, cross reference that with you to make sure we're yeah. I'll send you. One.
0: I'll send you on the note.
1: Definitely. So if we could somehow get a magical telephone that allowed you to contact twenty year old Jamila what advice (laughs) did you give her? First, tell us, you know, at 20 years old, where were you at? What were you doing? And what advice did you give her at that time? Uh,
0: So, 20 years old, I was still studying. I was at uh, university and uh, I think kind of at that age, I was just about, So, I was heavily involved in mathematics and I was just about starting getting involved with uh, neural networks and, uh, you know, fuzzy logic. So, I think it was just about at think for me it was between 20 and the the age of 21 where I started getting into AI. In terms of the advice, Uh, I think uh, it wouldn't be kind of like a a career type of advice, but I think it's more kind of a lifestyle of advice. I will just tell myself, you know, just like take it easy and chill out.
1: So what's the best advice (laughs) that you've ever received?
0: When I was in the the business, in the corporate, uh, so the best advice I received there is around how you tailor your message your different audience. So how you speak to, uh, you know, techie people in a techie language and how you speak to, uh, you know, general public in kind of like a very general language and like, you know, uh, and somewhere in the middle for business. So it's all about how you tailor your message to fit uh, your uh, audience. And that has been uh, very useful for me so far.
1: What motivates you?
0: Uh, I love uh, solving problems, especially if they're complex and challenging. I love, I love the the, the challenge.
1: Uh, What's the song that you currently have on repeat
0: the song on repeat um, mm, it's been uh it's been a while. I've been, I haven't uh, listened to any music, uh, you know, recently. But um, I think I I just like kind of like um, you know soft classical music that you can just put in the background and then you know go on with your uh, current activities.
1: So how can people connect with you? Where can they find you online?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm very you know very ha- happy for people to 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 reach out. Uh, so they can either reach out uh, you know to me through uh, LinkedIn. They can. Find find me uh, in LinkedIn under uh, Dr. Jamila Amimar, or they can contact me through uh, my company's LinkedIn page in Mindsenses Global, or they can just go to uh, uh, my company website, www.mindsenses.co.uk.
1: Dr. Amimar, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today. I really, really appreciate you coming on to the show.
0: Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here.